HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Gustiamo, the online store for Italian ingredients and pantry staples. Learn more at gustiamo.com. Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. On today's episode, we're joined by Dave Nayfield of Cape Fico out of San Francisco. He talks about the current state of the Independent Restaurant Coalition, what's going right, what's going wrong, and how to make sure that restaurants make changes with the coming future. Later on in the show, we're joined by Maxim Rayner Helmrich of the band Wilderado. He talks about not taking songs too seriously and their upcoming single, Head Right, and the forthcoming album due out later this year. So sit back, relax, and here's another episode of Snacky Tunes here on HRN. We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, Snacky Tunes. Sleep. 
Welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. We are joined by Chef David Nayfield of Kefico and Kefico Elementary. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, like I was saying, wow, your setup is so good. I know no one can see this because this is a podcast, but you've got the headphones, you've got the mic, and you've got like a very, very cool background. Uh, who is who is your background? So this is a world-famous Italian pop star by the name of Adriano Celentano. And so he became super famous in the uh, 70s and 80s. And when my family were immigrating as refugees from the former USSR, he was like all the rage. And they had to wait in Rome for like six months while they were waiting for their refugee status. And this dude was just icon status. He he was on movies and shows and everything. So when I was moving out of my childhood house, I found all these old records that my parents had like brought with them from Rome to the U.S. And so we took all the records and we turned them into wallpaper. And this is the wallpaper inside the private dining room at our restaurant. It's so cool. It's uh, it's such a nice touch. Uh, well, uh, before we get into it. We always ask this, especially now uh, in the times of COVID, I guess, po- post-COVID is, how you doing? You know what? Um, honestly, I'm, I'm fine. I'm doing well. Um, you know, I feel like it's such a loaded question, right? Because in for a long time, I think, you know, now it's like 14, 15 months we're in this. I think for a long time, everybody was trying to find a way to describe how relatively fine they were or how mm-hmm. relatively not fine they weren't. Uh, <laughs> and the truth is, uh, I've been blessed, knock on wood, for um, any real tragedy not to kind of fall on my doorstep during this time. Um, so I respect um, the fact that, I mean, tremendous amount of people have felt a lot of pain this year. Um, but for me, what this felt like, honestly, was, you know, another trial, right? Like when you're a cook, it's just like it's it's another thing that's put in front of you. Every time you walk into a new job, you're like, man, like, why is this job so hard? And the other job when I left, like I had figured it out, right? And I kind of just viewed this year 
sans tragedy as that. Like this is just another thing that we need to figure out how to get through. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, one of the things that you did and, you know, your restaurants are based in San Francisco is you started Family Meal. And I think what's been incredible about, you know, chefs are problem solvers. Day in, day out, they get every day they get a a new set of problems, some old, (laughs) a lot of them new. And I think uh, we have just seen that people in hospitality are just some of the most resilient people. They're always understaffed, um, (laughs) under-resourced, and they just always make it work. You started Family Meal. Um, which was just people, people in need. Can you talk about the program, uh, when it started, uh, how it went and, and how is it going? And is there plans to keep it post vaccine? Yeah. So it was, I mean, an accident, right? Like it wasn't something that we had thought out really fully. You know, we had shut down our restaurant one day, the next day we're like, okay, we have some employees that we kind of need to take care of and make sure, uh, you know, like for EDD purposes, probably weren't going to be able to make a living. And there was, you know, we also just wanted to continue to be like a light on in the neighborhood. So we're like, okay, let's, let's do some to-go food with limited people. You know, this is early on too. And this is, by the way, before the city shut everyone down. Mm. Um, and for, the, for those of the, those not following, when did... Like New York, it's seared in my mind. March 12th, that was like the day they shut down Broadway. That was kind of it. What was the date that they shut down San Francisco? March 15th. So March 15th was here. And so we had closed down like March 13th. And so like on March 14th, we're like, okay, let's just do some to-go food with our management team. And, you know, we had kept... Uh, everyone on their health insurance. We also didn't know how long this was going to last, right? So like in our mind, we're like, okay, uh, you know, two weeks to drop the curve or whatever bullshit they were like slinging back then. And it was like, that's what we thought in our mind. We're like, okay, cool. Like there's no reason to let go of anyone. And this is just kind of temporary. And very quickly, a reality sunk in as to like what this was going to look like. And around March 15th is when I think it got real and everybody was like, okay, well, what are you going to do with all your employees? And, you know, my business partner and I were luckily in a position that we ran a really good business prior to that. And we were ahead of schedule on paying our investors. And we just felt compelled that we needed to take care of our team because of the uncertainty. We didn't know what was going to happen. There was no talk of stimulus checks. There was no, and people were like, EDD is like, the, the whole thing crashed, right? You can, so we were paying out checks to people. We were giving paid time off to people. We were keeping people on health insurance for like 10 months, like, you know, a hundred staff members. And I'm kind of di- diverting away from your main question, but I just wanted to kind of set the stage as to like what was happening. So back to March 15th, you know, I was really blessed to have, you know, some friends and supporters of the restaurant just hit my phone up and be like, yo, what is needed right Mm -hmm. now? How can I help? And I'm like, well, how can you help? I don't know. Like, what are you talking about? And so one of them was like, let me put money in your hand and you do something with it. And I'm like, well, I mean, I don't know, man, like there's no way you can give me enough money to fix this right now. 
And I'm like, how do I, how do I make something happen right now? Because it's not like so much money to where you're like, it, yo, and you get a car and you get a car, right? <laughs> it's, it's just Take like, you're off. <laughs> yeah. And it was just so, so I was like, what do I know how to do? And I was like, I know how to cook food. So, all right, I'm going to take your money and your offer. And what I'm just going to do is I'm just going to do what I do every day. We're going to go to the farmer's market. But this time what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask all my farmers, what are you having trouble moving? I don't care what it is. Just give me the fucking like, give me the alfalfa. Give me the amaranth leaves. Give me the greens that are wilting in the back there. Whatever you're sitting too much on, give me that. And I paid them cash in hand. And I walked straight to the restaurant and me and my crew were like, just cook. Just cook the food and put it in boxes. I'm getting on social media right now. And I get on social media. I'm like, yo, if you got laid off, if you're having trouble, if I don't care if you were homeless yesterday, still like, if you need food, I got this many boxes, first come, first serve. Dude, the next day I'm getting like people hitting me up like, yo, how can I help? I'm still doing good. I'm still doing fine. I'm like, are you for real right now? Like, do we actually have to do something about this now? Uh, In five day span, we went from cooking 60 boxes of food to we were cooking like, 500 boxes for like family of three to four people, you know, like scaling up, tearing down our dining room, putting up tables, doing the whole thing. And, and it's not like premeditated. It was just going. And so me being like, you know, straight up like hype man from the Bay area, I'm like on social media, I'm like, yo, check this out. We're doing this and we're doing that. And people are just rolling in, keep coming. Like, and I'm telling you, the support was mind bending, like government crippled, all these people can't figure out how to how to flush a toilet, but human beings were coming out to like really get down with the community, and they were they were wanted to help. And the people and and the thing that blew me away most was this one person who was getting the meals, who was signing up for the meals, and she was getting it like for six weeks straight, and finally got accepted to EDD, and the next week came back and started donating a meal to someone else. And I was like, yo, people are, don't get enough credit. People don't get enough credit. We think they're all fucking assholes. We think they're all complete monsters. But the truth is, like at the, at the ground level, not on Twitter, not on TV, not in politics, at the ground level, people don't want to lie about what they're, you know, uh, people were asking me like, how are you going to know that someone's really in need of a meal? I'm like, do you know how embarrassing it is to ask for food? Right? And nobody's lying about that. Right. And the one person that did Mazel Tov, enjoy your free meal. Like I'm not stressing about it, but like it was the reverse, man. People were so it gave it breathed life back into my lungs after this craziness of a few years of like really doubting how like humanity actually was going to make it out of this. That thing really made me think like, no, 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 no. Right. Like we're not as separate as we think we are. All these people are really down for each other and we need to stop letting other entities manipulate how we view one another right there's a a much bigger commonality i mean you you touched on the government's inefficiencies uh you're part of the independent restaurant council uh you've been quite vocal about government's lack of help and and structure uh we are now kind of post the the funding bill uh being passed um how are things these days you know are, are restaurants getting the help they need or or is it still really really complicated Oh man. So you asked three questions and they all have three different answers. So <laughs> are things, so I'm going to answer the last one first. Are things really, really complicated? Yes. That, that hasn't changed. Um, are restaurants getting the help they need? Some are, and some are not. And why um, is that? Or so, which ones and which ones are not? Yeah. 
So, and then, and then that will kind of lead to the first question, right? And so the first question was kind of, how's it going and, and how, how is the bill kind of moving through? And so the quick answer is the Independent Restaurant Coalition has been fighting for 14 months to get a bill passed called the Restaurant Act, right? And that Restaurant Act was for $120 billion. And basically the idea that it was going to cover um, all independent restaurants, um, and it wasn't going to be like PPP, which had its deficiencies. PPP, I don't want to shit on it because PPP actually helped a lot of people. And so, you know, big ups to it, even though there was like some bad actors and probably poorly prioritized. But that's par for the course. I think the thing that we've learned, at least I've learned over this year, is that government can is incapable of precision and and um, and doing something in a way that is like so targeted, they can't do anything small. Everything's got to be big and everything's got to be overwhelmingly poorly, like, uh, 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 you know, um, you know, streamlined. Everything's just got to be big blanket right now where we're at today is the independent restaurant coalition fought for marginalized communities or restaurants that were owned by folks of marginalized communities. So think, um, you know, people of color, females, um, veterans, um, uh, socio-economically disadvantaged, right? To get prioritization at the front of the line, right? Now, and that was going to be like a 21-day period. And so when this bill actually got folded into the massive thing uh, that was just passed, as and it's now called the Restaurant Revitalization Fund, it only got passed at $29.8 billion, which is a drop in the bucket of actually what was needed. Um, but the prioritization stayed, which we're very proud of, right? So me, white guy, probably not going to get into the, the money at all, like puts me on the outs and really, really uh, puts us at a, a challenging situation. Wouldn't have, wouldn't have changed it for anything, right? Because the fact of the matter is it's what's right and we feel proud about our integrity and what we did. Now the thing is we got to fight to make sure that the rest of restaurants are taken care of because it still left out a – large swath of those marginalized communities that did not get into that first level of prioritization. And it left out, um, you know, a, a whole group of people that are equally ne needing the funds, right? So great first step, uh, big applause to, first of all, big applause to our champions who have been down since day one. And that's Earl Blumenauer, Brian Fitzpatrick, Kristen Cinema, and Roger Wicker. And I'm talking about two uh, Republicans and two Democrats working together to get this done. And really, I mean, th those people, like, I don't care what your politics are, but if you work in restaurants and if you own and operate a restaurant and you can't at least show a little bit of love and respect to some people who are like, yo, you really went out for us and you fought for us, then, then you have to re reprioritize like who's actually out there helping you. Because what I saw over the past year was a lot of people that I thought I aligned with on a lot of political thinking, basically look at me and be like, yeah, but you're not the people that donate to my cause. So I can't really mess with you. And I'm like, yo, for real, like that's how you are. And, and I'm telling you, I don't care how much of a saint you think someone is in politics. It's money running that game and it's lobbying running that game. And so we at the independent restaurant coalition have started fighting for the little guy and we're out there. And when I say the little guy, like I'm not joking with you. I'm talking about the taco shop across the street the Ethiopian cafe on the corner, the Americana cafe owned by two Vietnamese 
um, you know, uh, na- newly nationalized citizens. My business partner was walking around the street, big ups to Matt Brewer, walking around the street, getting them signed up for these things, helping them go through the application process. So the Independent Restaurant Coalition really did put their money where their mouth is. But now it's time for us to go back at it and make sure it gets refilled for the rest of the group. You know, it's so interesting because there was a corollary in the music industry where all the independent venues uh, bound together. Like, you know, they were they used to be like their own little fiefdoms. You know, they were connected by regionalism or maybe a conference here or there. And then it was like this collective bargaining power. Does the coalition go past this? Is this co- is the coalition going to stay together for the next 10, 15 years? Is, is there now uh, a reason for this? Or is it just to get through this time and then people go back to their own corners and, and live in their own uh, bubbles? So I think a thousand percent, it's, uh, it's living past this. It's already um, going through the mechanisms to make sure that it is not just some uh, group of self-appointed uh, you know, quote unquote, um, renowned chefs. Right. And I mean, and once again, I want to give credit to, to this group, right. That that's called a group of people looking in the mirror and reading the room and saying like, okay, we were not elected to this, even though they built it, even though we were in that room every day together, building it, that's still that same group of people were like, well, we didn't get elected by this few hundred thousand people that are following us. So what we need to do is pump the brakes go back to the larger group and say, everyone gets a voice now. So the, um, you know, so, so it's going to be restructured. It's through that, it's going through that process now. Um, and it's a crazy process. Like it, it is really, truly being honored the process of the build out and making sure that all the voices are heard and that diverse voices are heard. Um, and then what happens beyond this, you know, I think it's, I think at the end of the day, we need to recognize what the group is all about, right? And the group is all about um, being a voice for independent restaurants, right? Now, the world has a lot of groups and lobbies that are there for labor. There's a lot of groups and lobbies that are there for big chains. There's a lot of groups and lobbies that are there for farmers and all sorts of people, right? And when I'm in these meetings, I think a lot of these folks are constantly talking about, well, how can we help our team? How can we help our staff? How can we help all these people? That's the type of mindset of the people in the independent restaurant coalition where they want to help everybody. But the main thing to remember is we have never had a voice for ourselves. And if we go extinct, if the truly lovely gem restaurants that care about the community and care about our team and care about the farms and care about all that stuff go extinct, the people who are going to be there to swap, swoop up our leases and all that, we know who those are. They're big box retail, they're big brands. And I'm not hating on those people at all. And I'm also not hating on like wealthy corporations. Like I think that's dope that they were that successful that they could get there. But at the end of the day, something is lost when you do get there in terms of your connection to your small community. And I think what we have is important and it's worth saving. So I believe that we are going to continue to exist. Um, I think we're going to try and figure out how it's done in the most democratic way. And I think that moving forward, there is going to be a voice in the room speaking for independent operators and making sure that uh, the government is there to listen and that, you know, we're not allowing ourselves to just get kicked around anymore. Because the main thing to remember about independent restaurants in, um, in particular is that we employ almost more than any other industry in the United States. We 
completely overshadow the airport in, or sorry, the airline industry, which gets corporate, I mean, which gets government funds constantly, right? Like I'm talking about, they don't employ like a fraction of what we do. And then in terms of money to the GDP, right? It's an, it's an incredible sum of money, right? So if any industry is worth saving and any group of people is worth giving some level of consideration to, I think it's ours. We're going to take a quick musical break play a song from the archives and they'll be back with chef David Nafield here on snacky tunes on HRN.
pivot a little bit you wrote two really great op-eds over the last year the one part that really jumped out to me is about being a father Uh, i had my first daughter six weeks before the pandemic Um, i was working in hospitality for a decade traveling a third of the year 60 to 70 hour weeks without blinking and then almost overnight completely done uh, not to put too much of myself in this, but uh, both, you know, obviously all the trials and tribulations that come with that. But one of the blessings is actually just spending a ton of time with my daughter. It's part of one of your op-eds. So father to father, I'm curious, you know, how you navigated it and how you were able to balance the the mental freaked outness of watching your industry collapse, but also the very inward beauty of having this time that you would have otherwise not been afforded? (sighs) There's a lot there. So first of all, I feel like anything that I say without first recognizing that women have been doing all this shit forever uh, is pointless, Um, right? Like any, any kudos that I get, any pats on the back, right? Like the shit has been done by women and expected that they're working and a mom. And look, my, my girlfriend, she still has the same shit. She's like, you know, th- it's expected from, you know, and um, look, I think the main thing that we should take away from this year is that gender norms in terms of the in the house as to like caregiving um, need to be re-examined. And I think re- really need to be reworked in terms of the workplace also. I think that we do not give anywhere near enough credence to the caregiver economy. And we need to uh, think about that, right? Because these people, whoever they are, whether it's mothers, fathers, or otherwise, they are raising our future generation. And we need to value that at an, like in an economic way, right? And I think that needs to be something that we look at. Um, all that being said, to answer your question more directly, um, I thank God for the fact that I needed to focus on my daughter because it made me look at everything that was crumbling around me and really give two shits. I was like, I, why? I don't care. Everything got put into perspective. It's a business. It's, I don't care. What I care about is this little being in front of me and what she's having for snack time and what time nap time is done and what her poo poo looks like today. Like, that's all that I care about right now. Now, everything beyond that, yes, I'll get on a call, I'll do this, I'll do that, and I'm going to do everything I can in between that. 
but like it put everything in perspective for me. I was like, yo, I don't, I don't care. I really don't care. You guys figure it out and I'm going to help out. I'm going to like get in there. But like really what it made me look at was how I was working before this and what am I working towards, right? And look, I still have the same ambitions, if not more than before the pandemic. And I still want to go out and crush it. I still want to achieve some level of wealth. I'd love to send my kid to college if she wants to go and not be in debt or make her in debt for it for the rest of her life. I'd love to have a retirement fund. I'd love, I'd love all that stuff. Right. Um, but I also recognize that, you know, my daughter is not going to get to relive a section of life that I just wasn't there for. And so I need to constantly remember the fact that there's a lot of really capable people in my restaurant that do a great job and I don't need to be there till close every day. And I don't need to be there in the day, but this also ties into a lot of other things that, you know, it, and it hits a nerve for me because first of all, we don't value restaurant workers and we don't value the people that own restaurants enough. And we don't know what the cost is to get that burger and fries on your plate is right. Um, there are so many lives tied to that. And as a country, we need to start valuing food and how the food gets to you at a much different level. We need to recognize that paying more for food is just and paying more for labor is just going to be a part of it. Recognizing that people in the restaurants need to get paid more. Uh, restaurateurs of uh, you know small independent restaurants need to earn a little bit more. Everybody needs to work just a little bit less. Uh, and I know that what I'm talking about, like some people might be like, uh, "What are you talking about? Like that's nonsense." Look at the 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 numbers speak for themselves. Twelve years ago in San Francisco alone, right? The majority of restaurants that were successful were successful on about a fourteen to seventeen percent profit margin. Today, that benchmark is between two to four percent, right? So a lot has changed. And and if I ask somebody in the real world, in the regular world, hey, would you take uh, on yourself the liability of a million and a half dollars to open a restaurant, sign a personal guarantee on your lease that says, hey, if you don't live up to this, I can come after you and your family and you could be homeless one day. And all this stuff for you to turn around and make less than what you could make being a corporate chef in a hotel or a corporate chef for some tech company? Absolutely not. Most people would say, that's insanity. I'm not doing it, right? So why has the United States thrived because of entrepreneurialism? It's because people would always correlate risk with reward, right? If you put a certain amount of risk, you expect a certain amount of reward. Now, there comes a point where the reward becomes greedy, right? And maybe too much. And there are bad examples of what it looks like when the head of a company gets paid so much more than anyone that works within the company, right? And I'm not talking about that. But what I am talking about is if you did put all this risk and you worked your entire life to build this thing and it ends up being successful, you should be able to put yourself into the middle class at least, right? And that's just not what it is with restaurants. One restaurant ain't getting you into the middle class, definitely not in the Bay Area. You got to have like four or five of them. Do you, do you think that people, after spending this year at home, cooking, menu planning, shopping, paying attention to all of that, having meals become, you know, a huge focus of the day. They have a greater appreciation for restaurants and for the chef lifestyle and they have a better understanding of the cost. 
Well, I think if they don't, they're not paying attention. But the truth is, I think it's not going to matter very much. I think for the first time, we've all uh, recognized. And when I say we all, I mean, at least a critical mass of us have recognized that we have no choice but to change our business practices. We have no choice but to raise our prices, raise our business mandates, change tipping inequities, uh, fix pay discrepancies within the restaurant. We need to fix this. And I believe that we're finally at a tipping point. Now, do I think that tipping is going to go away? Do I think that everyone is just going to raise their prices 40% across the board? No, I don't I don't think everybody is. But I think there is going to be a majority of people's favorite restaurants out there making changes. And what those changes are going to be is they're going to be about a way of massaging the consumer expectation of their experience with what the business actually needs to survive. Now, from a consumer standpoint or a guest standpoint, it took people a while to get used to uh, a healthcare surcharge. It took them a while to get used to a, a mandate charge. It took them a time to get used to a lot of things. Um, it, but guess what? People get used to shit all the time. Um, I think ultimately it's going to be around making sure that we tell the guests the we share with them the experience. We 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 are very transparent and we're honest and authentic. And also recognizing the fact that maybe not every guest is our guest. And that's just the unfortunate truth. Like, look, the person that comes in and is rude to my staff um, and, and, and doesn't want to have a good time, look, they're, they're not my guest. They're not my guest. The person who comes in and doesn't value the fact that my lettuce is more expensive by virtue of who I'm getting it from and the practice that is that they practice versus wherever else the plastic container of lettuce is coming from is different. I mean, that guest isn't my guest, but guess what? I don't need everyone in the world to be my guest. I got 120 seats in my dining room. I need to turn the room roughly, you know, two and a half times a night. And probably when I raise my prices, maybe two and a quarter or two, make everybody a little stressed out, less stressed out because they're not going to be as busy, have less turn uh, in turn in terms of staff burning out. Um, raise the prices and maybe I need a few less guests. But I think ultimately what we need to all recognize is the fact that things are changing and people are not going to do this for nothing, right? People are either going to leave the industry, stop opening restaurants altogether, stop cooking for a living if we don't make this change. And the change has to happen now because we're never going to get this opportunity again. And when I say opportunity, I mean the opportunity of crisis. And I know it's a kind of a fucked up way to look at it, but it is. I don't think it's fucked up. I think it's the only way that you can get it's almost it's almost well when we followed like the no tipping trend, not enough people did it. You know, there, it was it was good. Uh, some people did it, but not enough people do it. But this is a time for collective action. And and the question always is like, what stays right post post crisis um, and what changes? And that's a really big and that's both a personal question like you said, um, and then also professional business one. And it, it, it will take like very strong leadership and education in order to business-wide be like, okay, we're all going to take this leap together because for, for all of us, we're all in this together. And if, if that wasn't demonstrated now, I don't know what else it, it would have been. Yeah. Well, look, you hit the nail on the head. I think it's just, it's important to recognize that, you know, uh, people just because they like tipping doesn't mean they're bad people and that they're, 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 
they love racism and that they want to, you know, they want to hold people down. Um, you know, sometimes they just like the ability to be generous, right? Um, but recognizing that um, the consumer isn't doesn't always just get what they want. If you look at every other industry in the world, the industry changes and the consumer has to adapt. Now, a great company implements the changes and recognizes that the consumers still want to recognize value for the product. And so if we can, at the same time, make the changes we need to make and then provide the consumer with an added value, whatever that value proposition is, right, then I think they will be happier for it. I couldn't agree more. Uh, one of the other changes that we've seen is chefs diversifying their revenue. I think I, I highly doubt that any chef is just going to be like, cool, I'm just going to go back to having my kitchen and I, I hope everything works out. You've come out with a product line, which looks incredibly tasty uh, and really amazing. Can you tell, uh, talk about the genesis of it and uh, what you're serving up? Well, first of all, today I was watching, um, you know, Bloomberg uh, or whatever. And, uh, you know, I saw A-Rod coming out with a uh, male concealer, right? Like male makeup. And I was like, man, big ups to that dude. He's out there. Trying to, <laughs> he's, trying to, he's trying to plug any product he can. You know, my man's going to be a billionaire. Um, look, at the end of the day, it's like you, you know, as at my core, I'm a cook. And that's what I do, right? Like I'm never happier than when I'm sitting on a station, sweating it out, cooking for people that are enjoying themselves, hearing like pumping music in the dining room, getting into a vibe with the people next to me. That, that makes me happiest. But I'm also cognizant of the fact that that's not going to provide wealth for me. And I say that word often because I think that people think the word wealth turns into a dirty word. And I don't, I don't think it is. I want wealth. I'm not... I'm not uh, ashamed to say that I want to amass some wealth for myself. You know why? Because I never had any. My family never had any. They came here with nothing for opportunity because they believed in the American dream. Now, for me, wealth doesn't have to come with greed. It doesn't have to come with bad actions. It also doesn't have to come with without like le uh, uh, layers of kind of like doing right and generosity. But – to that end, I recognize at some point, like me cooking in a kitchen is only going to do so much. I can't scale that. I can't scale, you know, uh, you know, there's also a limit to how many really good restaurants you can scale. You can scale a lot, like you can scale a few, um, but there's always going to be diminishing returns. Now, what can you do? What can you scale? Right. And products become that one where you're like, well, what's your idea? How saturated is the market? Does the market even need what you're selling? And the answer is, I don't know whether the market needs what we're selling, but I do know that we have a brand and that I believe that our product is incredible. Now, our whole ethos has been, I don't want to be the less expensive version or that less expensive option for anybody. What I want to be is I want to be the best option. And if you like the best option, then you'll pick me. Um, and that's always been how I try to approach anything. So when you see our sauce in the, uh, in the, in the you know, aisle, which is like a pomodoro sauce and a rabiata sauce, and we have a, a Kefico Calabrian Chili Bamba, right? It's not going to be the less expensive option. But what it will be is it's going to be made with the same products that I make in my restaurant. I'm not going out there buying lesser expensive, lesser quality products to produce this this um this this product right um and that's what i believe in and the funny thing is when people taste the tomato sauce they literally say oh my god this is the best tomato sauce i've ever had in my life how do you make tomato sauce so good and i literally say i'm not making anything that good 
what I'm doing is I'm buying good, right? I'm buying good, I'm putting it in the jar, and then you're tasting the difference. The same way you taste the difference when you, you know, you buy a tomato at this supermarket that's been in cold storage and this blah, 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 blah. Or when you go to the farmer's market and you pick one up that's never touched a refrigerator, it got picked from the vine, you know, early that morning and you taste the sunshine, you taste the pectin, you taste the sweetness, you taste uh, the, you know, the umami, the acidity, this, all that stuff. Right. And that's just in the jar. And at the end of the day, if you really care about the sourcing and you're willing to pay for the sourcing, then you can show that off. And it's not about talent. It's just about making a decision. So our line of Kefico products is now available at Buy Right Market. It's available on Milk Street. It's available, um, you know, there's some other online people that are taking an Epicurean trader here in San Francisco. There's a few other markets. And we've just been surprised because we can't actually keep it on the shelf. We can't jar it fast enough. Oh, and most importantly, it's available on our website, uh, keficoalimentari.com. Amazing. Well, you just took the, my last question was how do people find you? How do Boom. people buy your products? Um, a, a consummate guest as ever. Uh, well, chef, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Uh, well, actually, where can people follow you on social media? You did not say that. Well, on social media, follow me on Instagram. Uh, if you want, you know, uh, food and, um, you know, stuff like that, follow me on Instagram at David Nafeld. You can follow the restaurants at Kefico or at Kefico Alimentari. Uh, if you want to follow me for political or talk uh, or talking about sports, uh, follow me on Twitter. Um, I like to get spicy on there. So, you know, uh, make sure the kids leave the room. Um, and uh, one thing I just would like to say with if if possible, um, I know this is a, um, you know, a tender subject right now. And I don't want to make I don't want to get overly political, but it's a, a chance for everybody to hear this. I think people need to recognize and they need to separate their feelings about Israel with Jews. And I know what's going on in Palestine is terrible for a lot of folks, and I mourn for them. And I don't think that the Israeli government does things well a lot of times, but you cannot separate that with their, um, you know, their right to exist as well as the Palestinians' right to exist. And I hope that they can come to a peaceful, you know, solution. But I need to say things to people out there where if they think going out, and saying things that are anti-Jewish is in some way going to solve the problem for Palestinians. You are falling into the same trap that the Nazis did. You're falling into the same trap that people in Charleston did a couple of years ago. And you better just recognize that for me, I believe that the Jews have a right to defend themselves. Jews have a right to exist without being harassed. And just like I will fight for any black friend I have, any Asian friend I have, any gay or trans friend I have, I promise you, if I'm out on the streets and I see you pulling some shit with Jews, I'm going to be out there fighting on the streets too. All right. So let's all tone down the rhetoric and, you know, make sure that we lead with love. I think that's the most important thing right now. Incredibly well said. Incredibly well said. Uh, we're going to take another quick musical break, play a song from our archives, and then we'll be back with the second half of Snacky Tunes here on HRN. Dark things on his mind 
episode is brought to you by Gustiamo, the online store for ingredients and pantry staples from Italy. Gustiamo's mission is to improve the quality of Italian food in the States. They independently import the best and most authentic food from Italian farmers and food makers, wonderful people dedicated to their land and their traditions. When you're searching for quality Italian pasta, San Marzano tomatoes, and real extra virgin olive oil, Gustiamo has them all. Shop their vinegars, coffees, sweets, and so much more. From northern hilltop hazelnut farmers in Piemonte to southern sea salt millers off the coast of Sicily, Gustiamo works exclusively with small family food companies in Italy. When you shop with Gustiamo, you'll know that your ingredients are authentically Italian and of the highest quality. For our listeners, Gustiamo is offering a 10% discount on your online order with Gusti code... H-R-N. Learn more at gustiamo.com. That's 
G-U-S-T-I-A-M-O dot com. Hello, and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. Uh, we are joined by Maxim Rainer Helmrich of Wilderado. And we just realized that we have now four or five years, Eastside Food Festival. Shout out to Ann Lee. You were on stage. I think it was the Home State Sisters. So good yeah. to see you. Nice to see yeah. you again. Thanks for having me. Having yep. me back. Uh, yeah, great to have you. So, um, let's start with the, I mean, I always have to ask this, like, how are you guys doing? <laughs> Musicians, COVID pandemic easing out. How are things feeling? How are things looking? I mean, things feel remarkably good to tell you the truth. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think the only thing that we're kind of trying to work through right now is figuring out what it's like to play live again because we just didn't for a year. And so there's a little bit of uh, anxiousness in that. Um, But other than that, man, I mean, it's been a pretty cool year to tell you the truth. Why is that? I think it's just I've appreciated having this big pause that I didn't have to create. It it was just something that just was came along. and we were, I think I was a lot more tired of traveling than I realized. Uh, so it's just, we, yeah, we just had this big peaceful break and finished a bunch of stuff we've been wanting to finish, had a bunch of conversations we needed to have, that kind of thing. It was like a pretty therapeutic year, to be honest. Like a proper housekeeping, if you will. Correct. Yeah, for real, though. I find that amazing. I mean, I find that with a lot of creatives, both chefs and musicians who just like, they started their project and you guys started like in 2015 and you just kind of hit go. And then you kind of think like, well, the only way we're going to stop really is like a massive hiatus that's self-imposed or we break up. So to have this time where like everyone's sitting it out, (laughs) that you're not looking over your shoulder some people didn't take advantage of it, but like, you know, and you just touched on it, but like, what's one really kind of good example of how you use the time to make uh, the band better? Well, we never, I mean, like you just said, it really was kind of start and go for the band. And we never had much time to just kind of decide what we actually wanted to be. I mean, I'm not sure we figured that out still, but that's a that's kind of a, a thing we've been talking about a lot. Is because I mean, we kind of started it, wrote some songs, recorded them, and then we're just always on tour and and recording. And um, there just was very little thought behind anything, you know what I mean, or intentionality. It was all just kind of reaction. And, and now we're still home and. Uh, we're getting ready to go into a record cycle. I guess it's just started the first singles out. So now it's like we're having time to try and decide what do we want to be, you know what I mean? And that's kind of been fun to at least be able to think about. I don't know if it's going to change anything, but but it's been cool to just kind of identify ourselves a little bit. I mean, the, the opposite of that is things you aren't, right? Like that's the that's also we're not this type of band. We We don't do these type of things. We don't write these type of music. Have there been some things that you've just taken off the table? Like, okay, we're not going to go in this direction. We're going to just, you know, we might have done that before, but now, like, this is not an avenue for us. Yeah, wow. That's a that's an interesting perspective. I, I mean, I think maybe more so we've spent so much time 
just kind of doing things that were asked of us uh, and not spending much time trying to figure out if that's something we actually wanted to do. And, and so now we're going into this period where instead of like saying every idea that's brought up isn't cool or we want to do that or we're not that, we don't want to do that. We're, we're kind of trying to figure out what is it that we actually want to do? What, what can we produce? What can we create? What content would be in line with what, you know, we are and are wanting to be, but it, does that answer your question at all? Yeah, it, it really does. I mean, obviously it's a, a work in progress uh, and by, you know, to, to figure out what type of artist you are can take decades, but I really resonate with sometimes you just like hit go and you're just like, yes, 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 no, no, no. But you don't really know why you're saying that, or you think you should be doing something, but doing that actually takes time from doing something else. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. It's a, uh... Yeah, it's an interesting time. I think something we've kind of been plagued with as a band is 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 just kind of thinking things aren't cool or being afraid to not appear cool or what is cool and you know what we have these bands that we like and you know how do we be like that and how do we feel proud of ourselves and and I think we're trying to shut that down a little bit more and not worry about all that shit and just think like, what do we like? What do we love? Why are we approaching each thing by trying to identify the aspects of it we don't hate? And how can we kind of have a more clear understanding of what we love and what we're wanting to make? It's been weird. I'm not really sure where it's led us, but it's definitely been like a shift in thinking. Yeah. I think those fruits take longer to bear, but you just got to get down that path. Uh, can we hear a song? Yeah, for sure. What are you guys going to play for us first? Um, let's do Head Right. I've, I've never really done it like this, so I thought I would give it a shot. But yeah, this is a, just a little acoustic version of our current single. All right. Uh, Head Right, the new single, the beginning of the record cycle uh, from Will Dorado here on Snacky Tunes on HRN. Oh. 
There's been a lot of changes in the creative process. You have gone on record saying that the best way to ruin a song is to take it too seriously. Uh, how have you lightened up or how has the band collectively lightened up um, to create this new batch of music? I mean, that's the funny that you pull that quote out is that's kind of just what I'm talking about right now. <coughs> Excuse me. I mean, I'm, so writing songs for me at least is such just a natural thing that kind of like when it happens it it just happens and and then there's like this basically it happens it gets made and then we spend all this time like analyzing it and trying to figure out what we want the song that's already written to be uh and, and so head Right's really kind of a funny example of that is we just wrote that tune it was so much fun to write we were just all jamming out so straightforward and easy lyrics came real fast and then it was like six months seven months eight months before it was recorded and in that time like everyone started freaking out thinking is this kind of music we want to make is this the we want to be this loud do we want to when can you listen to this song i mean the only time you can listen to songs when you're like raging in your car you mean like all these kind of negative thoughts start coming through and, and you're listening to other music and cruising spotify and it's like man this is chill like I love this vibe this song's giving me. And, and then you start thinking about head right. And it's like, what? why the hell are we just bashing away all the time? Blah, blah. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. That's like, it's just bad thinking. It's negative thinking. It's all these things that don't really need to be there. Uh, so I think we're trying to just like, just not be that serious. I mean, it's okay to have songs that you're not into all the time. Like I think part of being a songwriter is just writing songs and some of them don't connect and some, you know, for a while, or if they do it first and then stop connecting, that's okay. I think we're, I think you can be too plagued by like being your songs. You know what I mean, or being a song. I mean, it it seems like you know, as you mentioned, you're getting back into the album cycle. You are a collection of songs. People have sa- have been saying that you know we're going to like the one song era. You're defined by that, and I think like commercial pop in one way, but if you're still releasing records. 
there's multiple sides to your personality, each embodied with the different songs on the record. Correct. I mean, just like you are as a person, right? I mean, we all do things every day, but just because you act and get mad to spilling a bowl of cereal or something doesn't mean that you're an angry person. There's going to be 20 other opportunities to react differently throughout that day. And I think songs are just the same way. Uh, But it's interesting because you get to spend so much time on them. And then ultimately you decide if if you hear something we write or not. You know what I mean? So there is like a scrutinizing process that should be a part of it. But we're just trying to be less cool about it. You know what I mean? I, I think that's something that like I could admit to. I've been just been trying to be cool too long and it's uh it's gotten exhausting. really exhausting, dude. Yeah. Plus yeah. it's like that's the antithesis of cool, right? Like the people I think are cool have never thought about being cool in their whole lives. Yeah. I mean, All right, can we hear another song? Yeah. What are you gonna uh, play for us next? How about morning light? Feeling drunk again. I got this old guitar and some skinny cigarette. Not quite sure just exactly where I am, but tomorrow I'll be home. It won't matter where I've been. When the sun comes up in the morning. I'll be well on my way home Darling, there's the time to dry your eyes I'll be holding it in the morning Holding on to you in the 
you worked with some old Snacky Tune friends, I Am Sound. Paul and Nikki, we go way, way back. How did you connect with them and, and how did you hook up with them along the, the way? Man, I liked I liked those people so much, especially Nikki. I, I, I have a lot of respect for her. I thought she was one of the coolest people I ever met, to tell you the truth. And her dad was mm-hmm. got to have dinner with him in New York, which was pretty rad. I had nothing to do with that. That was our, our manager, Chris. I mean, when we put that first EP out, he, I think, blasted a bunch of people and, and they they came on board. Uh, it was kind of a short-lived process. I think we were with them for like that one EP. I actually remember we I, we had we had finished that. We were needing more music and I had written a bunch more music and, and they told me it was all too shoegazy. <laughs> It was kind of funny, and and she said, "What you guys really need to be doing is, um, you know, putting more emphasis on your harmonies and, and that sort of thing." So that that week, I wrote a song "Favors." I don't know if you've heard that song, but I, that was kind of just like I'd give Nikki's advice a little try, and uh, I don't know if I ever told her that before, but "Favors" is for you, Nikki. <clears throat> and then I just have to ask, as a Fleetwood Mac fan. You went on tour with two of the founding members. Uh, anything you can share? <laughs> I'm sure you've been asked a million times, but like, what was it like traveling with, you know, Lindsey Buckingham and Christy McVie? It was cool. I mean, it was, yeah. That's, I could talk a lot about that. I think traveling with them was like they would show up in black suburbans a couple hours before the show so i don't know what traveling with them was like i know what it was like to eat their catering every day and that was awesome uh it really was awesome I mean, they had like veggie vegan and meat options for every every meal uh they were really professional and really into what they were doing still, which was pretty cool to see. And then they were just so they involved us a lot. I mean, we were making that favors EP, uh, mixing it on the road while we were with them. And I remember they would come in and say they had been listening to the mixes in the bus or I mean, the band would, or, or in, and, and uh, he came in a couple of times Buckingham did to, to just kind of tell us he thought we were doing great, to tell us he thought our band was cool, our songs were cool. I remember they would come into our dressing room uh, several times. Lindsay specifically came into our dressing room a couple times just to tell us we were doing great and that he loved our songs and 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 just to kind of like brick brack. I mean, it was rad. We would uh, just kind of kick it with him. And same with Christine. Christine was she was a little bit more. Uh, elusive but you know if you would pass her anywhere she would smile and squeeze your hand or she gave me a kiss on the very last night told me she loved me <laughs> it was awesome dude it's just the coolest thing ever i know it was the coolest thing ever that's amazing so uh as you mentioned head right is the new single you guys are dropping back into album cycle can i ask what's coming in the next months is, is that even a fair question to ask in sp- spring 2021 yeah, I mean, we're asking that question all the time ourselves. So we're we're being very plastic with everything and, and trying to adjust as we need to um, to try and get a tour as close as we possibly can to putting the record out. But it's just gonna. I, th- I think we're gonna be pretty generous with singles leading up to the record. 
uh, there's going to be another one that comes at the end of June and then probably another one midsummer and then one will come with the record itself. So, uh, just start putting out songs. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we want to make sure we have time for one more song, but, um, where can people find your music, sign up for updates, you know, get ready in anticipation for the, the tour and the release. How do they find everything? Well, I mean, Instagram is usually the best. That's where we uh, try to do our best, keeping everybody up to date. Uh, Wildorado.co, we've got a mailing list. Uh, you know, just all the internet, all the internet ways. Amazing. Uh, well, Maxim, thanks for being on Snacky Tunes, and a big thanks to everyone who tuned in this week. Uh, what is the name of the last song you got for us? Help Me Down. Great. Appreciate everyone listening. Uh, We'll be back next week with uh, another episode of Snacky Tunes here on HRN. I wish I had a stone to throw at something real treasure of my own so I could feel I dropped an anchor in the sand and watched it drag on through the sea the shackles are off my hands but I ain't free it's such a lovely shade of Down, don't pick me up. Give me something that I can touch. Just a way I've loved you all along. The summer came in fast, but it hasn't learned to last. It came to town just to turn you brown. Now I'm freezing in my car As I'm driving under the stars I've been thinking of you Like I tend to do in the dark I guess I never learned to choose Help me down, don't pick me up Give me something that I can touch Just a way to hear I've loved you all along Help me down, don't pick me up Give my hands a bit of love Just a way to hear I'll love you while you're gone
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.